in another attempt to strengthen our batting depth on the Top Order podcast. Tonight, we're delighted to be joined by a man who sits near the top of almost all the T20 batting charts for New Zealand, boasting the highest strike rate of all time, including a 50 from just 14 balls and 100 from 47. He's also a recent CPL winner with the Trinbago Knight Riders and has a Crick Info team list long enough to rival anyone in world cricket except perhaps Mohamed Afiz. Colin Munro, welcome to the Top Order podcast. Uh, cheers, boys. Thanks for having me. So, Colin, I'll kick off uh, first. You've just got back from the CPL. Tell us how the, the magnificent Waipuna Hotel is treating you in your isolation. Well, to be honest, it's, it's pretty good. Um, we didn't know what to expect, obviously, coming back home. Uh, but it's been really good. Uh, we had a bubble here. We've got another seven uh, Kiwi lads here that have come home from the CPL. So we've got our own little bubble here that we can mix and mingle with. And we've got a good little um, area to go and do some outdoor activity, a little bit of running and and, and um, some gym stuff. So that's pretty good. And then the food, I think the food we've been very surprised by the quality of food. The food's been amazing. Um, you know, we had a week or two in, in CPL before the tournament started and the food there was um, a little bit below average, but now <laughs> the food there has been, uh, been exceptional. And a bit of corridor cricket. Are you, you know, got the, you know, the cricket butt out and a little bit of tennis ball in the corridors? No, 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 we're not allowed to do that. So, um, <laughs> uh, Sodi and, and the other boys from ND, they, they in one bigger room, um, so they all just hanging out together and they play a little bit. And, you know, Ish Sodi is a bit of a nuffy, so he just loves to bowl all day. So, you know, <laughs> bit, of, bit, of, uh, bit of cricket in the, in the room. Awesome. Well, look, let's get on to the serious cricket. So just got back from the CPL, I guess, uh, first and foremost, congrats on the win. That's your third with the, the Knight Riders? Yeah, yep. Um, yeah, it was very good. You know, this year was a remarkable game. 12 from 12 was, you know, it's... Um, something that we set out to do at the start of the tournament but you know we just took one game at a time and, and just tried to win a game of cricket and I think the good thing for our team this year is that everybody got on the park um, whereas in other years it was just we were going to play our best team but we we rested a few players um, with, the, with the condensed schedule as well as you know it was just great to see young boys getting a go that that would have, would have um, otherwise sat on the pond so no it's been been a good good tournament and uh, yeah the boys were, were fizzing at the end of it that's for sure and be, before we talk more about the actual campaign, there's a little bit of, I don't know whether it's an urban myth story doing the rounds that Brendan McCullum used the last dance as a, an inspiration from you guys. Is that, is that the case? Did you, did you screen MJ's greatest moments or uh, is that a bit of an urban myth? Yeah, no, it definitely. He, he used it um, to great effect, I think, because you look through Trinidad before they, they became the Night Riders uh, where they were Red Steel and Red Force before that, like, they they won a lot of T20 and one day cricket um, in the Caribbean, and then when you know Steel came over, they got one one title, and then again now we've won three out of five years since I've been there. So you know, trying to create some sort of dynasty there a little bit, and you know, around the world we're one of the most successful franchises going around. So um, he used it, you know, and we've got two charismatic leaders like like MJ was as well, you know, uh, with Pollard and, and Bravo just asked and, you know, could be upfront with everybody and try and get the best out of everybody by just being open and honest and, you know, trying to carry the other boys around. And, and I think that there are some uh, major similarities between the way that the, the, Chicago, the Chicago Bulls went through there and, and the way that we've gone through. So, 
yeah, it was awesome to, to see and, and how he mirrored it uh, with the success of the Trinbago Night Riders over the last couple of years. Are many of the guys basketball fans in that Trinbago side? I imagine a few guys from the Caribbean would be able to follow the NBA and, and such over there in Orlando. Are many of the boys uh, NBA fans? Yeah, a few of them are. A few of them, um, obviously not as big as the football fans, but a lot of them, you know, especially like I think everyone else around, when it gets into those finals times, um, everybody loves to watch a bit of basketball. And in your build-up to the campaign, it was pretty disrupted. You must be an expert on COVID tests and going through quarantine by now. Yeah, yeah, it was very disruptive. Um, yeah, and I reckon we, well, since in the last two months, I reckon I've had, I reckon, eight, nine tests. Um, I know there's other people out there that have had more than me, um, but, yeah, it's not a good feeling when you know, that thing gets shoved up your nose and hits the back of your throat. So, um, yeah, the sooner I get home, the better. And in terms of that build-up, how were you guys able to bond as a team being able to spend a limited amount of time together? See, I think for us, we were fortunate because all our local players were from Trinidad. So um, when when the overseas players, there were five or six of us that, that got to Trinidad, we, we were in, allowed to be in a bubble after seven days. Um, so we, we trained together for, for the next seven days before the tournament started. And the Trinidad boys, the local guys, had had a camp beforehand at Queen's Park Oval. So in that way, we were pretty fortunate. And, you know, everybody had played together uh, the year before. There was probably, I think, three or four people in the whole squad that um, hadn't been around the years before. But, you know, the, the culture that we have within the group, you know, the guys came in, fitted in really well, were welcomed. And, you know, guys like Tambe and um, those other guys that have come from overseas literally within a game or two, they just felt part of the family. So um, huge kudos goes to the the whole environment, the way that they, they, they rally around other people, and it is like a big, happy family. So, yeah, we, we were fortunate enough that we had played a lot of cricket together um, in the past, so it was just like getting back together after after having some time off. And did you get to celebrate the win properly? Yeah, a little bit. Not as much as we would have liked, because a lot of the boys were going to the RPL, mm. so... You know, Polly Polly got on a private jet and shot over with his family over to um, Dubai, and same as um, Baz and a few of the other boys um, that were going to Calcutta. So not as not as big as we would have we would have liked, but um, yeah, definitely had a had a few there because we, you know, it was quite a disruptive sort of flight on the way home. We had we had another two nights in, in Trinidad, and then we had two nights in Saint Lucia, and then again. Um, out. So, you know, we had some plenty of time to, to celebrate, that's for sure. Yeah, that's good. I was going to say, how did you guys manage to get such a stacked team? I mean, you mentioned a few of those guys, Pollard, Noreen, Bravo, you know, you've got yourself, Tim Seifert. I just think it goes on the luck of the draw sometimes. I think when you look at the other the other teams going around, I think that we're the only team that have really stuck to, you know, I've been there for five years. Um, Noreen's been there like even the local big West Indian players have, have stayed put in, in Trinidad. Um, and I think, it's, you know, a few of those bigger boys, when Pollard, had, when Pollard came back home to, to Trinidad, I think Brav um, and Narayan took a pay cut so that they could get him mm. to, to come back. So, yeah, it's just about, well, they, they, they're not after the cash, you know, they just want to win titles for Trinidad and, and, and you know, that's, that's how they want to play their cricket. And and what's it like playing with those guys? I mean, they, you watch them, uh, you know, on TV, and it feels like they're kind of larger than life kind of characters, especially someone like Pollard or, or and Noreen. 
yeah, oh, it's, it's it's amazing. I think the first time I went over there five years ago, I, w- I wasn't too sure what to expect. You see these guys sort of, you know, when they get wickets carrying on and, you know, just think it's a big party. But the, the, the way they go about the game and the way they think about the game, the way they talk, they prepare, um, you know, they, they are no wonder they, they are the top of the game. Um, you know, they prepare really well. They talk about the game all the time, uh, whether you're just sitting in the in the team rooms, you know, playing FIFA, they're still talking about the game coming up and, mm. and what have you. So, you know, you think that it's just pure skill, um, but a lot of preparation, a lot of hard work goes into preparing for, for games for those guys. And, you know, it goes to show that, you know, I think Pollard played over 500 games. Um, you know, Bravo's taken over 500 wickets now, so... It's not just it's not just a fluke or, or luck. Um, you know they they prepare well and, and train really hard as well. And, and you mentioned uh, Tambay before, forty eight, and he's still going around. How how on earth does he do that, mate? That guy's an absolute legend, though. Yeah. He's, seriously, um, like for, for me, getting a little bit later on in my career now, thinking you know obviously with COVID, you, you start thinking, see how long have I got left? You know, especially mm. with the travel now, and you've got a month. Of isolation or two weeks isolation, and you get there two weeks, and you get back, and you try thinking like that. But you know, and then you come across a forty-eight-year-old that's yeah. still literally playing like he's a twenty-one-year-old, um, and he's just a larger-than-life character, and, and really fitted into the team really well, and just an amazing uh, guy. Because you know, he started obviously started playing professional cricket quite late, mm-hmm. but you know, doesn't take anything for granted, and, and just works really hard in his game and. Um, yeah, he definitely made a lot of us sort of take a step back and have a think about our careers and, and what we'd probably taken for granted a little bit. Um, and the way that he's, you know, finishing off his careers is unbelievable. So the the CPL, and I think it was called the Stanford 2020 League, I think back a few years ago, that was one of the original sort of party tournaments, you know, festival tournaments. What was it like with no fans this year? Oh, mate, CPL is the biggest party in sport. It's yeah. Literally, um, but this year was, was tough. I think, um, you know, we had to make our own atmosphere and, um, on, on, on the game. And, yeah, it was, it, was, it was pretty tough at the start, but then you sort of just got used to it. But, you know, when you, when you play in the Queen's Park or Brian Lara and you've got the Trinity Posse stage, like stand, fully packed with, with red, it's, it's an unbelievable feeling to play in front of uh, a packed Queen's Park. You know, they, they love their cricket there in Trinidad and the Caribbean. So, yeah, it was weird. Um, but you know, we still had a lot of interaction with our fans over social media and stuff, which was quite good as well. Uh, and I guess on a personal note, you picked up a niggle sort of towards the end of the tournament, but still had a, a pretty solid tournament. I, I guess what I'm kind of interested in is like, you know, when I, you run through your, your list of scores, you've got successes and then you've got like two ducks in a row there. Like, it, it must be quite hard to get your head around the amount of failures you sort of inevitably have in T20 cricket because of your role. Yeah, I think so. And I think the wickets, to be honest, the wickets in the Caribbean are some of the toughest wickets you bat on going around. Um, but this year was, in particular, was really, really tough. We played early morning games where it's fun. You know, the wickets are quite sticky. And so you just got to take the good with the bad, I reckon, especially in T20 cricket. I think, you know, if you go over there with preconceived ideas and, and trying to trying to get an average of 35, 40, striking at 140, becomes so outcome-based that, you know, you miss out a couple of times and then you get a howler decision from an umpire. You maybe run out once and then all of a sudden you're trying to play catch-up. So mm. for me, it was just trying to go out there and, and try and win one or two games off my bat, you know, and then contribute another two or three and, and you've done your role for the team. I think if, 
You know, you, you look through our team, we had match winners the whole way through. If one person said that they could win a match for us um, and during the tournament, then we'll go a long way to winning the tournament. So that's the way, you know, I try and look at things now moving forward. Um, you take the good with the bad. Obviously, the way I play as well, trying to take the game on, um, it, it doesn't always go in my favour. And uh, Colin, without, without giving away too much about your game, you, you've talked a little bit about that, that mindset. You're at the top of the order in the T20s. Are you looking to hit every ball for a boundary and then kind of you go down? So it's kind of like as it comes out of the hand, it's like six, four, three, two, one. No, got to keep that out. Is that the, is that the mentality? And then does that differ in a 50-over game for you as well? Well, I think batting, batting well, when I'm batting well, that's, Definitely, what I'm thinking. I'm hitting. I'm thinking boundaries, not necessarily sixes, but boundaries, especially early on in my innings. Hitting, hitting fours along the ground, or, or just chipping over the top. But definitely having that mindset of being aggressive, and then you, your, your natural instinct will take over to defend a good ball, or or you know run it down the third man, or whatever the case may be. And I think in you know one day cricket hasn't quite nailed that role yet, um, and and just trying to find the right tempo to bat at. In T20, you can go out there, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. You, you have a great 20, 30 balls, you, you can change the game. But, you know, 20, 30 balls in a, in a one day is not enough. You know, you've got to face 70, 80 to 100 balls to have a huge contribution on the game. So I think that's something that I'm still working on, um, trying to get towards, trying to find the right tempo to bat at one day cricket. But T20 cricket, like you said, it's just going out there and, and just having some fun and um, trying to entertain as well and, and play the way that I want to play. Yeah, and uh, Brendan McCullum was someone who had that sort of attacking flair at the, at the top of the innings as well. Having him as a coach must be, you know, good for you in that sense. Uh, how has he helped with embracing that approach? Oh, he's been huge. I think when I first started playing for New Zealand, he was captain and, you know, he, he liked the way I played from, from when he first saw me uh, taking the game on. And, you know, obviously I started it in the middle order, sort of sort of five, six, and, and then worked my way up after he retired. So, Really, really try to model my game on on Brendan, um, and he also raised a good point last year and this year in the CPL is that when I'm batting well, I'm I'm looking for boundaries first. I'm not looking to, to hit sixes. I'm looking to hit boundaries along the ground that I'm still keeping my shape and my front side nice and strong. And when I try and hit the ball for six, you know I lose that front that, that front side sometimes, and you know become real real handsy. So when I'm keeping my shape and, and hitting the ball well and good strong shots, that's when I'm I'm, I'm batting pretty well. Do you work on that sort of thing in practice? Do you work on that power and that shape in practice? Or do you work as we were all taught as a kid, you know, practicing your defense and then building up your power from there? What sort of things do you practice in training for a T20 game? Uh, depends, really, how far how far out you are from the game. If you do it three days out, I'd go out and just look to play powerfully. Um, if I've got one game in between or, or, or a day before session, you know, I'll just try and bat normally and just watch the ball under hit. Um, and get get into a bit bit of a rhythm and just face some balls and you know put, give myself the best opportunity. So um, yeah, there's nothing worse than going into a net trying to just slog your way, getting out 20 times and then walking out. You know you still want to feel pretty good about hitting the ball in the middle of the bat, whether it's just defending or, or hitting it through the covers or whatever the case may be. But yeah, it's it's, it's totally different. Obviously, times of the year as well. But in tournament phase, you just, you're just trying to watch the ball um, and then just bat. I think. Is, is, if I'm looking to be too aggressive in the net and trying to hit everything for for six or four, um, you lose your shape. Sometimes the wickets aren't you know as as good as what the middles are, um, and every bowler is bowling with a different ball and a different plan, so it's hard to get a read on it. 
So I just try and react to the ball as, as well as I can. And then maybe at the end, I might have some throws and, and, and work on my power game that way. And is that specific scenario stuff where you practice the innovation or do you occasionally pull out like a lap sweep or a ramp shot against like Pollard and the Nets, for instance? No, every now and again, you just pull something out like that. Um, I think it's just got to be instinctive too. Um, all those shots are 100% premeditated. So um, you've got to give yourself, if, you, if you're only doing it against the flicker or somebody throwing it, then you don't get those cues that, as, you, as you would with the bowler. So you've just got to still do it in the net, even if you're not, executing it as well as you would have liked. Um, it's just about getting your body in the right position and stuff like that. So you still try and do those reverses and the laps and stuff in the, in the net. Um, it just gives you a bit of confidence that you have you have done it, you've sort of picked it off, you've signed it off, and then you can go into the game nice and, and ready to go. And what, what do you reckon is actually possible in T20s? I mean, you, you've scored a 14-ball 50 against Sri Lanka. Like, it seems like scores are just getting faster and faster in, in kind of all these t- tournaments and uh, in internationals. Can it? Do you think it can actually get much quicker than it already has got? Well, look, yeah, it's a tough one because you look at guys, you know, the guys like Russell and Pollard and Hardik Sandia, those guys are, are just freaks and they can hit anything from four sets, you know, and um, us smaller guys, although we do have sixes, it's, it's a lot harder. Um, so those, those freaks of nature like Polly and then they, they just, you know, they come once in a generation, those players. So, yeah, I think, you know, I would, I'd love to see someone get close to 200. You know, Gail's got a 170 odd and, and, yeah. and Finch 150-odd. I'd love to see, you know, someone like Russell or, or Pollard bat 18 or 19 overs and, and just see what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's all dependent on, on where you play, the wickets and, and, and the boundary sizes. You must be pleased you moved towards more of a better than a bowler and you, and you, uh, as you get older, oh, yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Didn't have the pace to, to do anything, so yeah, just give the bowling up and just worry about trying to hit some hit some fours and sixes and have a bit of fun. So, Colin, let, let's move to some of your other experiences around the world. We mentioned in your little write-up at the start, you, you've had a lot of sides that you've represented across a number of different leagues and tournaments. How do you actually get acclimatized and sort of, you know, gel with that team when you're sort of flying in and flying out so often for these different tournaments around the, the world? What, you know, what tips would you give to someone doing that for the first time? Well, the first time, it is pretty tough going into an environment where, you know, when I just started playing for New Zealand and, and playing a couple of tournaments, you know, I, I wasn't sort of well known around the world, uh, even in the T20 circuit. So, it was kind of hard. I, I always try to go in there and, and, and try and prove myself and, and work extra hard and, and try and do all the little one-percenters um, really well and, and try and get noticed that way, whereas now it's more taking the focus away from me, um, trying to fit into the culture as, as best I can, going out with the, the young local boys, not necessarily the big players all the time, but the, you know, the young guys that are probably carrying the drink learning um it's about me giving back to those boys a lot more um helping them develop as, as players and and just you know getting getting used to get, getting used to the culture like in pakistan or you know even the young boys in the afghanistan premier league just getting used to the way they do things slightly different to how we do things back here so um taking you know the last two years i reckon i've taken the focus away from, from me whereas when i first started it was a bit of me 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 and now it's just trying to give back to the to the group that I'm playing playing there, and I think it helps with having more experience and and actually um, playing some good cricket at the moment. That's that's definitely helped. But definitely, when you look at a young player 
uh, I could get started this year going over and playing his first CPL uh, or first franchise. I just said, mate, just lap it up, enjoy it, have some fun. Don't take things too seriously um, because you blink and it'll be gone. And, you know, he fit into the culture really well. Um, played a big part with the, with the gloves too in the field, so it was quite easy for him just to get around everybody. But mm. I think that's the biggest thing, was just trying to give back to the environment that you that you play for um, and just be a good person. And then you, you'll be remembered that way. Cricket, especially like you guys have already said, T20 cricket, you, you can be red hot and then or you can be like, you know, ice cold. So it is it is very hard. Um, but as long as you're trying to stay level and get back to the get back to that culture. And and what about prior to getting on the plane with all these auctions coming up? My my house is about to go for auction in three weeks and it's the only thing I can think about. And that's a house. <laughs> what 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 do you think when you're kind of you know, your name's up for grabs? Have you got an inkling that you're gonna get picked up and you you know, you know what your reserve price is and, and you're getting some, you know, intel from the estate agents about what you're gonna go for or have you got no idea on the night? Oh, some of them have got no idea. Like the, the RPL auctions is an absolute, it's a lottery. Um, it's, you know, if a couple of teams want, if a couple of teams want you or, or, or want to bid on you, you know, it becomes a bidding war. It's a bit, it's a bit of a strategy. Like having spoken to some coaches now that have been in, um, the auction, you know, you try and bid on somebody where you think that other team really wants him, so try and outbid him up to a certain level and then pull out so that they use more of their budget. And So it's a bit of cat and mouse. But like the other tournaments, like CPL, uh, CPL and PSL, you can sign our subs draft. Um, so I try and do that, even if it's a little bit less less money and you, at least you know that you're going to go to the, to play some cricket again. Um, so, yeah, it, it is it is weird. The first, like when I went into the auction the first time and there was a bit of talk around RPL stuff, it was weird watching your name go in the hat, you know. It was I actually didn't watch it, my wife did, so and then she obviously told me that I got picked up and it was pretty cool. But yeah, it is nerve wracking. It's uh you feel like you're a little bit of a I don't know, like an animal going to, to auction, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like you know, somebody's gonna buy you and then you you there you're there for two months and then well, thank you thank you very much and then you're off again. So yeah, it's a weird feeling that's for sure and good luck with the house auction i hope you hope you do well <laughs> yeah no look, i hope as i hope i do as well as some of the ipl players that's, that's, <laughs> that's for well, sure yeah, yeah. Um, but sort of talking about the ipl obviously from a financial perspective it's the pinnacle i think of the t20 leagues around the world how do they all stack up though in terms of both atmosphere and the intensity of the cricket as well is there a lot lot between them in that respect uh, i don't think so i think if you look through all the competitions there's there's quality throughout. Um, you look at the PSL quality fast bowling and spinners in in Pakistan. Um, some of the fastest attacks I've, I've faced. Um, and then you look at the Caribbean on on wickets that are a bit too paced. It's, it's hard, you know. Even though you might not have the quick bowlers, the skill that they they possess there, and you know they grow up now playing T Twenty cricket, so they've all got slowable, slowable bouncers, Yorkers, you name it, they've got everything, and then good spinners too. So, and they hit the ball miles. So every tournament sort of got its, you know, obviously RPL has got huge overseas based players, like massive, and obviously the Indian players are huge. Then you go to the Caribbean, you got the big West Indian boys, PSL fast bowling attack. So there's all slightly different niches in each tournament. Um, so when you go from tournament to tournament, it's kind of kind of neat to see all the different uh, types of players you have. 
And what about our local Super Smash? How does that compare to all these big leagues? Do you still enjoy turning out at the Eden Park Outer Oval, having played at Eden Gardens, for instance? Yeah, I love playing for Auckland. You know, that's literally, you know, probably the most fun you get. Like everybody, you know, that's where, you, where I first started playing um, before I started playing in, in the franchise tournaments. And, you know, you're playing with all your good mates. I'm not saying the other guys aren't mates, but they they sort of more work colleagues. But these guys, you year in year out with them, training all year round, um, and then it's just good to see, you know. And then you get two two thousand people at Eden Park out of Oval. It actually, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it can it can get a decent atmosphere there too, and and it's good to play in in, in front of local local crowds. And um, back to the IPL, can you share any good IPL party stories with us? Oh, I got in a bit late, you know. It's the first, maybe the first three or four years of the RPL, they said that that was party central. Literally would win, lose, drink your booze, and that was it. You know, you go hard. So I was, I got on a little bit later where it wasn't as much of a party. So, you know, I don't really have many stories for you boys. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty boring anyway. I usually stay in my room, play a bit of PlayStation, might go out for the odd beer here and there, but, um, yeah, if I drink too much alcohol, I'll blow up my weight and then, you know, get injured. So I've got to keep keep track on that. Did you learn that Mumbai chant at least? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I was, <laughs> yeah, 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 a little bit. Um, that was, yeah, that was a weird sort of tournament because I went in uh, three weeks ago. I went in for Aaron Finch. He had torn his hamstring and I went in and got picked up and, I knew I wasn't going to play a game. There's only three weeks left. So I was like, oh, cool, this is going to be awesome. But, you know, R- Ricky Ponting was uh, coach at the time. And even though I knew I wasn't playing, it was like the way he went about his team talks and things. Um, talked about we had six more games left. We have to win the next five or at least five of them to get through to the playoffs and then anything can happen. So he talked about like being a heavyweight boxing match and every every game is around. Um and he was just so motivational that, like, at the end of the team talk, you know, I'd want to be getting on the bus to go and play. But he'd just be like, oh, mate, stay at the hotel. You know, you don't have to worry about coming down. <laughs> and then bit of a visitor. But, yeah, that was, a, that was a weird experience to know you're not playing, but, you know, to get fizzed up after his, his team talk is pretty cool. Yeah, we, we actually talked about Ricky Ponting. It seems like even just um, kind of just listening to him in commentary and stuff, he definitely seems like that kind of character just knows a lot of, you know, knows what he's talking about and, and definitely can kind of inspire those guys. It seems like he's going to be really good for that Delhi side at the moment. Yeah, I think he just knows what to say at the right time. Um, and obviously comes with experience and those young boys, he's been there for like the last two or three years now and he's got a really good relationships with Rishabh Pan, Prithvi Shaw and uh, Shreya Zaya. So who are the backbone of that team, even though they're all, all young, uh, made the backbone of that team even moving forward for the next two or three years, I suppose. So, um, yeah, uh, I think they're going to have a good year this year. They started really well, so you know we'll see what happens. It's a it's a long tournament there, um, yeah. So hopefully they go pretty good. And and um, how about the PSL? So like, there's been a lot of talk lately about international teams kind of travelling to Pakistan again. What was it like to go there as a player? After I guess you know we we get told here. You know the team's you know as an international team we're not going to travel there we're going to go to the UAE. Did you feel safe? Yeah. Like is all that kind of stuff? How how was that? To be honest, I felt safe. Eh? Um, the first time I landed in, in Pakistan, that's when I sort of shat myself a little bit. I thought, oh crap, I'm in Pakistan. I don't know what to expect. Mm. Um, but then once I got into the bus and, and we headed to the the hotel and 
to see the security and things. You know, I felt safe 100%. Uh, I think all the other boys also felt safe too. Um, I don't know whether that level of security would be attainable for a whole series though. I know that's the PSL, but, you know, for, you know, a couple of test matches, one day is T20s. Um, it goes a lot of money. I think it was, I think they were saying something like a million dollars a day for, mm. for all the wow. so you know whether the government would, would put that out for for twenty or thirty days worth of, of cricket. I'm not too sure. Jeez. And uh, obviously, in the the last few days, some sad news uh, in the cricketing world with the passing of Dean Jones. Uh, it seemed like he was quite a presence in Pakistan with the PSL and obviously commentating at the IPL. Did you have any uh, fond memories of him? No, I didn't play. I, I didn't play under him at all. But did talk to him during like PSL um, and and had a few few beers um, over some some chats of cricket. And you know, very very sad news to waking up to find out that he had had a heart attack. And he was he had a huge influence on uh, my last year. I was at Islamabad United, and he was I think they won two or three titles under him. Um, and he was very influential on on the young boys coming through there. And you know our group chat was was very sad as well the guys were um were very sad by the passing of Dean so yeah he's a, he was a great lad um and you know very you know big character in, in Pakistan wherever he went um you know people would chant his name and stuff like that so yeah very sad news yeah it was very sad news uh just rounding off the sort of franchise 2020 stuff. So I'm a man who likes innovation in cricket. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, 10 over, 10 over a side cricket or the 100 and, and things like that. Do you think there's space for another sort of iteration or form of, of cricket in the world? Yeah, I'll say why not. As long as you give it a crack and, and you know, you do, it, you do it well for for a year or two and then see if there's any traction. Um, I don't see why not. Um it might not be something that like like T ten that might be like an Olympic sport, you know. Um, yeah. It's been it's been well. I know the boys that have been to T ten have have said that it would be awesome to have that and you know in the um in the Olympics or something like that. So yeah, I think definitely innovation, um, trying to come up with different different ways about doing things. I think it could be good for the game. And, and I mean, uh, we've just touched on a whole bunch of different leagues. It's sort of the, the fact that you've played in so many of them means we've talked this long. We've hardly kind of mentioned the Black Caps. But I mean, assuming yeah. sort of everything goes ahead as planned, it looks like there's going to be a lot of T20 cricket in our home summer. There's the two T20 World Cups in back-to-back yeah. years. I mean, how do you sort of see yourself uh, for the next couple of years on that international stage? Not too sure, to be 100% honest. Um, I'd love to be playing at the World Cup and and playing every game I can for New Zealand. But, you know, this year I haven't got a contract for, for New Zealand. So, you know, getting to the back end of my career, that's, it's, it's thinking of, of what I can do now to, to set myself up financially as well. So, yeah, not too sure exactly what the landscape moving forward is going to be. Um, I've had a few chats with New Zealand cricket, and um, I know some boys have, have gone past me in, in the one-day format of the game, and I can totally understand, but... You know, when when they say that you know still in contention for T20 cricket, um, it sort of makes me second guess that I'm only sort of one or two bad performances away there, and you know I could be on the bandwagon there. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll just have to um, see how it goes. Hopefully, have a few good games for Auckland at the start of the summer here, and then um, you know if I get a crack to go again, then you know I'll be there. 
Well, Colin, we like to finish the pod with a little bit of a quick fire round. So I will give you fair warning. We are going to ask for your favourite or best sledge that you've uh, either been a part of or heard in your career. So we'll come to that, um, the penultimate question. But first one, yep. what's your what's your favourite innings that you've played? Uh, definitely my 281 uh, against CD in, at Nelson Park. And the biggest six you've ever hit or the one that just felt the best off the bat? Oh, I don't know if it was the biggest, but it was Scott Kugelan at the at the cakes and it went out the stadium. But Jeez. yeah, I don't know if that was the biggest, but it just looked the biggest because it went out the went out the ground. And you must have been on the same team as almost every international cricketer in the world by now with your, your franchise career. But is there a current player that you love to bat with the most? Uh, Karen Pollard. What about funniest teammate? Oh, I've got a few of those. Um, CPL is definitely Kyrie Pierre. And then in New Zealand, I'm going to have to say Ben Horn. Righty ho. The most annoying? Oh, most annoying. There's always one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's probably Tim Zowley. <laughs> And you, you won't be able to see, obviously, behind us in our little podcast studio, but we've got a, a wall of jerseys here ranging from the most awful canary yellow. So I won't um, even um, yeah. n- name the, the nation that that represents. But what's the best uniform you reckon you've played in? Best uniform? Um... No, I'm just going to have to say my Auckland Blues, I reckon. <laughs> Auckland Blues, a, a, cra- a yeah. crowd pleaser for the for the locals. And then yeah. we've, we've got to that moment. Let's talk a sledge. What, what's the funniest one you, you've heard or been part of? Well, all my sledges have been very personal, so I won't go there. Um, <laughs> growing up, I know Steve will probably let you know I was an angry, batting fast <laughs> bowler, so I wouldn't really sledge. I'll just get personal and call everybody... Uh, an effing this and the effing that and you know it wasn't even smart but I was talking to a few of the Kiwi boys and they said that one of the funniest things that they've heard was they were playing a test match in South Africa and Neil Wagner obviously being South African born uh, was bowling to Timber Vuma and Timber was playing this game because A.B. de Villiers was out injured or, or having a rest so Waggy's obviously running in around the wicket bowling bounces and telling him Timbo, you're lucky, you know, you're playing this game. We're going to play, we're going to play your cricket next, you know, when AB cut back and he carried on for an over or two. Eventually he said one more time and Timbo just went, listen, Maggie, if I want to, if I want to play some more cricket, I'll just move to New Zealand. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just thought that was really good. Like, Waggie, don't get me wrong, loves the guy. And I just thought, you know, if one, if that thing, if that can keep Waggie quiet, then it's got to be a real good one. <laughs> Awesome. Well, yeah. look, I, we, I don't think any of us have heard that one before. So that's uh, that's an awesome original uh, sledge for our book of 101 um, great new cricketing sledges. Look, you've, you've been great with your, your time, Colin. But before we let you go, just want to finish with, the, I guess, the proudest moment of your career so far. What what um, what uh, what does that represent for you? I know there's hopefully a lot more to come. But so far, what do you look back on with the, with the most pride? Well, it's probably not like something massive where you think, oh, maybe not, but it was my first World Cup game in England where Guppy and I chased down 140 without loss, mm. and I walked off, 
and I had my family on the sideline and I didn't think that I was going to be playing the World Cup and then to get selected there, I was like, okay, well, awesome. Probably wasn't going to play until I think Henry Nichols got injured just before um, and then I played and then I got, and then my boy was on the sideline and he, I came off and obviously pretty big deal, you know, you just won a World Cup game. And he was like, Daddy, Daddy, you didn't even get out today. <laughs> and, then stuff, you know, and then had a bit of a laugh and a photo. And, you know, I still got that photo with me today. So I think that's probably one of my, you know, my most proudest when I see my family um, enjoying what I do out there. Awesome. Colin, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. We we do hope that the quality of the food continues at the, the Waipuna and you get out um, safely and those COVID tests don't smart too much um, on the way out. And look, looking forward to seeing you on a cricket field during the New Zealand summer as well. Cheers. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Top Order podcast. Before you disappear from our feed, if you're a new listener, please do go and check out the back catalogue. We've spoken recently to New Zealand coach Gary Stead. We've got Graham Thorpe. We've got Shane Dietz. We've got Barry Richards, Shane Bond, Colin Miller, all in the back catalogue. You can find the details www.thetoporderpodcast.com with the Top Order Podcast on Instagram, although we're still really figuring that out. We're at Top Order Pod on Facebook and Twitter, so don't be shy to jump on, give our tweets a share or a retweet, and we'll see you next week.